0: your Bibles to the book of Joshua, chapter 14. Several weeks we have been studying on the subject of faith and divine healing. And if you remember, last week we were saying that to appropriate the promises of God, we appropriate them by faith. And when faith is in operation, there will be four things that change in our life. The first thing is that our prayer life will change. Secondly, what we think will change, what we say will change, and what we do will change. And we ministered on that last week. Those four things are going to be indicators to you as to whether or not genuine faith in the heart has been brought forth. But Hebrews 10 and verse 23 tells us that we are to Hold fast to the confession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And so what God wants us to do is when we pray for a promise, he wants us to hold fast to those four conditions that we talked about until the answer is manifested. And there's a couple of things in that verse, one I'll just quickly mention in Hebrews 10. I didn't turn there. But he tells us to hold fast and persevere because he says he's faithful. One of the things that is criticized, is used as criticism of the faith message is that sometimes we get charged with teaching people that they have faith in their faith. And we don't do that here. It's not faith in our faith. It's not faith in our ability to confess words. It's not our faith in the ability to act in a certain way or think a certain thing. It really boils down to Mark 11.22, and I stress that in this church a lot. There are other ministries that you'll hear them say, Mark 11.22 says, have the faith of God, and if you listen carefully to those ministries, they very well could be teaching to have faith in their faith. But we don't do that here. The stress is have faith in God. You see, the Bible is God's promises. It's just taking God at His word and believing that He will do what He says, that He's faithful. That's really what it boils down to. And with that in mind, we maintain our prayer life and that we're not asking over and over again repeatedly for what we already have by faith. We're controlling the temptation to doubt and worry and fear and question in the mind, we're guarding what we say, that it is in agreement with what God says and we're not contradicting him, and that we act on we, we act on the word as the Holy Spirit is directing us and guiding us and we hold fast for however long it takes. Now there are illustrations in the Bible where sometimes people have endured for many, many years. Abraham endured twenty five years for Isaac. Noah endured on the promise of deliverance from a flood for 120 years. And here in Joshua, you read of another individual, Caleb, which we've talked about before, but I thought I'd open up the message with this this morning. In Numbers 13, he and Joshua were promised an inheritance in the land of Canaan. And 45 years later, Caleb is still not entered into that inheritance. 45 years after the promise was made. So we read in verse 6, Joshua, or I'm sorry, Then the children of Judah came to Joshua in Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, the Kenazite, said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God concerning me and thee in Canish Barnea. And he's talking about Numbers 13. Where he said, "You, you two only, will enter into the land because of your faith." Forty years old was I when I when uh, the Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Canish Berne, had espoused the land, and I brought him word again as it was in mine heart. And if you remember that testimony, he quieted and stilled the complainers and whiners, and he said, "Come on, let's go up. God's promised it to us; He'll deliver it to us." And it was his heart speaking. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land wherein thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance, and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these forty-five years, even since the Lord... Spoke this word unto Moses while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now lo, I am this day eighty five years old, as yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day of Moses sent me, as my strength was then, even so my strength is now for both the war, to go out and to come in. Now therefore give me this mountain. Jesus might have been referring to them in Mark eleven twenty three, when he said, Whosoever shall say to this mountain be thou removed to be cast into the sea shall not doubt in his heart. He probably was pointing to a literal mountain but he was also very well could have been thinking about Caleb and his perseverance for 45 years. He went on to say in verse 13 Joshua blessed him and gave unto Caleb the son of Jephun a Hebron for an inheritance. He got his mountain. But it was 45 years later. For 45 years he held on with his faith. And that's what God wants us to do. Now when it comes to the subject of healing, I really don't find, I've never found anywhere in the Bible, correct me if you've found somewhere, but I've never found anywhere in the Bible though whereby people have had to endure for a healing for long, long periods of time. Months and years. I think the only place that I've can recall in the Bible where a person had to persevere and endure for the manifestation to their health or healing would be in the book of Job. And there's really no statement made that I'm aware of in the book of Job as to how long of a period he had to persevere and endure. It's been suggested that it was somewhere between six and nine months but I don't know what that's really based on. There's no real scripture to back it up. So there really is no in, no real testimony of a person that God permitted to have to persevere and endure for some physical ailment for months and years. I'm not saying that that maybe isn't won't be the case, but I believe that there that through our experiences in walking by faith and claiming the promises over many years, I think there's a place where if after you pray for healing, after a reasonable amount of time, and I don't know what to tell you that's going to be because it depends on the situation. There's a place of really checking yourself to making sure you're meeting the conditions. You're not wavering in your faith. You're walking in obedience to the Lord. There's not resentment in your heart toward others. You're meeting the conditions. Your marriage is in line. You're not trying to You're not trying to play a game where in front of others you're one thing but yet behind the closed doors of your home or work you're something else. Because I can tell you right now that won't work. But there's a place where when things don't seem to be going like you would think they should, there's a place of asking yourself the question could this be something that I need deliverance from? Is this an area of uh, oppression of the devil rather than a matter of faith for healing. Sometimes people have not been blessed with healing and health because what they're in need of is not so much uh, faith for healing, but they're under a curse, whether it's self-imposed or it comes down through the generations of their family, because they have been involved maybe in some form of false religion or occult involvement. And there have been another, there are a great number of ministers that when they have come to a point working with people on the promises of God for healing, that if it seems like things just aren't right, they're willing to lay aside the promises uh, and, the, and the principles of James 5, and they begin to start really looking into, or asking that person to look into their background to see if there's some door that is still open that could be bringing a curse to their family. I mean, let's, let's look, for example, at a couple places like Matthew 4, for one. You see, you can't rule out that, that Jesus was discerning when he prayed for people for healing. He was discerning. There were times that he didn't pray for a person to be healed. Rather, he dealt with an oppressing spirit that was hindering that person from walking in hell. Matthew 4, for example, is just a a couple different passages, but here's one. In Matthew 4.23, Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments and those which were possessed with demons and those that were lunatic and those that had the palsy and he healed them. Now it's all kind of combined together, you see. He talks about mental disorders, he talks about demonic disorders, he talks about physical disorders, they're all kind of lumped together, and he dealt with it all. And so there's a place of recognizing that sometimes something may be demonic, that you may be dealing with a demonic problem rather than a physical condition and the way that you deal with it, is different in the Bible than the way that you would the prayer of faith. The Bible says the prayer of faith will heal the sick. But nowhere does the Bible say that we should pray for the devil. Pray to the devil and ask him to release us. We don't pray to the devil and ask him to release us. The Bible says resist the devil and he will flee. But you won't resist the devil. You won't close that door if you don't realize that that may be the problem. Look at Matthew chapter 17. Sometimes there is just a curse that's still being carried on in a family, in a person's life. I mean, stop and think about it. And I think I'll elaborate on this more as I go on, but stop and think about it. We There are many, many different curses that are mentioned in the Bible. There's the curse of Cain, the curse of Ham, the curse of Gehazi. There are... A number of different curses that are spoken of in the Bible, in which those curses are said to carry on in a family life for many generations to come. In Exodus chapter twenty, in Exodus thirty-seven, we'll look at a few of those. In, in or Exodus thirty-four, we'll look at those in a few uh, in a moment. That sometimes curses fall upon families, cities tribes, nations. America's blessed. We're, we, we live in a country where we are a blessed nation. We're a very giving nation. And we had good, godly, Christian roots when we started. To me, they're being chopped away. I, I, I'm appalled at, what was it, just yesterday, and they put this right on the front page of the paper, about how that... The Methodist Church, one of the Methodist churches in Toledo, is helping people to deal with clobber verses. Clobber verses—that's the verses that clobber homosexuals when, now don't laugh. It's the verses that clobber homosexuals when they feel guilty about their sinful activity and they want to get married. So let's get this clobber verses out here and let's let's help the gay get their gayness back, and get them married and all that other garbage. And that's what it is. It's garbage. And I'm not being critical of the Methodist Church. It's just a fact. All you got to do is just read it. It'll tell you where it's at, and you go talk to the woman the woman pastor, and I believe she's gay also. And uh, they'll help you, you know, get all the answers you want. We dealt with that. I told you back about what six months or a year ago when we were talking about homosexuality I said look out it's going to get worse the United Nations is just about to vote on whether or not gay marriage should be a human right it's it's coming friends this country has been turning more and more away from following the things of God and they're becoming more and more following after the ways of the the rest of the world they don't want to offend anybody and all this other and i and and I'm not against human rights, and I'm not against religious freedom. That's not the point. But with all of that religious tolerance that comes in, is also going to come the, the lessening of a high standard that God will judge America for. You look around at some of the liberal nations, like Africa and South America, and they are not, not at all as blessed as this country And there is a lot of heathenism, a lot of paganism, a lot of false religions. You don't have to go to the continents. Just go south of Florida. And look at some of the uh, islands like Haiti and the poverty and the illnesses and everything else that plague that country. And yet there's a tremendous amount of occult practices, which as we'll see in this study, God condemns and says, they that practice such things are an abomination unto him, and that curse will fall upon their generations to come. It's a violation of the first and second commandment of God. And so there's a point of recognizing that sometimes there's a curse that's running through. A nation, a family, a tribe. I'm not saying that everything's a demon. You know me. Any of you that have ever been to church for a length of time know that I never got on the trains that were going through Christianity where people would jump on and blame everything on demonic activity. You can't crucify the devil, and you can't cast out the flesh. If it's the flesh, you got to deal with it. But there's a place... There's a place of recognizing that when a person seems like they have they're they're walking and serving the Lord, and things just don't seem to go right. There's a place of just really praying and asking the Lord: Is there some kind of a door here that is open that I don't see? Now, I'm not saying that that is the last solution. Sometimes people have done that and still things don't work out, and you end up. Needing to, to trust in Romans 8.28, which says that, that there are just some things in this life God may not explain. And you just have to trust Him in His wisdom. He's all wise and knowing, and He'll explain things better on the other side. But there is a place of recognizing that demonic activity, satanic oppression, can be, the, can be a hindrance to a person walking in the promises of God. Look at Matthew 17 for a moment. What we're saying is that when you read through the Bible and you're looking for uh, examples of healing, you're going to run into, into scriptures like the one I just read in Matthew 4 as well as here in Matthew 17, verse 13. The, uh, verse 14, When they were come to the multitude, there came a certain man kneeling down, saying to him, Lord, have mercy on my son, he is a lunatic, and sore vexed, and oft times he falls into the fire, and often into the water, and I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. Now, I believe this the testimony of Matthew 9, and he said to the man over there Mark 9, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And the man said, I believe, help thou my unbelief. But here, a little bit more detail is given besides that, Jesus said, Oh, you faithless perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long will I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil and it departed out of him and the child was cured from that very hour. It was a demon that he had to deal with. And it. this is something that you have to be prayerful about and let the Holy Spirit direct you and guide you. I recall a number of testimonies from different ministers that have Used, had an open heart and mind and followed the word of God in this area and seen results in some situations. I, I believe Derek Prince mentioned one time that he was in a I want to say Presbyterian but don't hold me to the denominational church but it was a denominational church and he was ministering the word and as he was ministering the word there was one family that was sitting uh, a row or two back into into the aisle and He just stopped in the middle of his sermon because he was really bothered by, as he was ministering, he was really bothered by them. He said that the Lord had spoke to him and said there's a curse on that family. And so he stopped and he went away from the pulpit and he went over to the man sitting in that row and he said, I've had to stop my sermon. I really believe that the Lord is saying to me that there's a curse on your family. And if you'll permit me, I would like to come against that in the name of Jesus and break that curse. And the man said, yes, go ahead. And so he came against that curse, and he broke that curse over that family. And then he noticed that the one of the daughters that were sitting there had her arm or her leg and a calf. And he said, would you mind if I prayed for your child for the healing of their limbs? And the man said, no, not at all, but I'd like you to know that this is the third time that she has broken, I believe it was her arm, third time she's broken her arm in the last few months. And the doctors have said, because this has been broken so many times in such a short period that it's not going to heal. He said, I just want you to be aware of that. And as he, as he continued to minister with the family, he continued to deal not with the prayer of faith for healing, but with the demonic. And later on, he said a short time later, he received a letter from the man, and the man went on to share that a new a number of uh, bizarre things that were going on in their family had ceased, and he wanted him to know that the girl's arm was totally cured. He was dealing with a demon. It had to be. It was. Dealing with a demonic curse that was on the family, it came by word of knowledge, obviously. The so Holy Spirit is showing him that, but he, de- but he was just sharing with it in one of his books, and I don't recall which one. Just that he was dealing with something in the demonic realm and not looking, not dealing with it as a physical uh, problem. The Bible shows that you can sometimes open a door through. A number of different, um I, I, I call it activity, false religions being involved in it. It can, it's not necessarily something that you particularly, you in particular, are involved in. But it may be something that is in the family back background. I mean, look at Exodus chapter twenty for a moment. It can be something that has been imposed upon a family, and I think I'll touch on some of this today. Through words spoken, a curse can be put on you or your family by the speaking of certain words. Or sometimes a curse can be upon an object or a thing. Now don't don't look at me and say, oh, here we go. Now we're going to get into all kinds of mythological, animistic, primitive stuff and we're going to get into some superstitious Activity. No, I always try to be very, very cautious that people don't go overboard on looking for demonic things under every rock, bush, and tree. But the Bible still says that both a blessing and a curse can be transmitted by an object. It goes both ways. You see, people, I've found the Christians like to believe in the blessings of God, and they like to believe in the existence of God, and they like to believe in the existence of angels, and they like to believe in the existence of cherubim and seraphim. So when you start talking about fallen angels, when you start talking about Satan, when you start talking about demons, then right away they just somehow want to dismiss that as nothing more than old myths that have been carried on, and somehow through the means of psychology, we have advanced beyond that that it goes both ways. If you're going to believe in God as a, who is a spirit being that we have never seen and the host that serves him and works for him, then the same Bible that teaches us about God also teaches us that there is a demonic side that's under the influence and control of Satan whom, while not a threat to God, God has permitted to be in existence and to operate within certain limits under the freedom and permission of God. And you just have to face the reality of it. And the Bible says that we're not to deny it, but we're to recognize it and resist it. And it's a matter of faith. And you can't have it both ways unless you're going to take the Bible and pick it apart. If God exists in an unseen world that we don't see, then the same Bible that says He exists in that realm also teaches us that we have a worthy adversary and foe that also dwells in an unseen realm, in which Peter says we are to resist steadfastly in the faith. And the Bible has been written to warn us about how that activity we can open a door to demonic oppression an activity in our life through various different sins that are an abomination and an offense to God. If you look at Exodus chapter 20, the first and second commandment tell us that the first and second commandment say in verse 1, thou shalt have no other gods before me. That means that any other religion other than Christianity any other God other than the Judeo-Christian God is a false God and I don't I don't care how nice this Muslim person might be I don't care how kind this Buddhist might be I don't care how sweet and nice this uh, Hindu person is if they don't have Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior they are under God's condemnation and wrath right now they're not going to be they are they're already under his curse and their religious practices and their influence and their anything in regard to their faith that you permit to enter your mind and become sympathetic and think it's okay that in itself you're recognizing and accepting a false god which can open up a door to oppression I recall reading of a woman who was working in an office in which much of the office staff was receiving a lot of blessings from some guru and she was asked to type these blessings out and send them off through the mail system and she asked her boss she said that really offends my conscience and so forth as Christian I don't care to do that and he said no problem he didn't make her do it but the influence in the office was still there of such that she would listen to it and think about it and so forth and she began to start having a lot of problems with arthritis her, her hands and, and stuff becoming arthritic and she went through deliverance, breaking the curse in that regard, and the arthritis went away. I mean, you can't argue with the results. If people if people follow what the Bible says and get delivered and cured, I'm the last one to criticize. I'm not saying that we believe it because somebody wrote it, but, if, but I'm not going to call them a liar if they call themselves a Christian. You know what I'm saying? He says... Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Verse 2, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of what was just said of the fathers upon the children unto the third and the fourth generation." three and four generations are going to be affected by the curse from a great, great, great grandfather. I think that's what he's saying there or or if it's a, a great, great grandfather. One says, well, my great, great grandfather was heavily involved in witchcraft. Then there may be a curse and a door open in your family to whereby that needs to be renounced and broken, and we'll share that as we go on. There's a place where you've got to uh, be willing to be prayerful and discerning in that regard. Sometimes it's sometimes these curses have come by words that are spoken. Words, if you look at James chapter three, are very, very important in the Bible. People sometimes just don't take seriously how important their words are. Do you remember how important the words were when it came down to uh, Isaac and Jacob and Esau? Esau was in line for uh, the birthright, the first birth blessing, firstborn blessing. And Jacob, called the supplanter, tricked his father, who couldn't see very well, into believing he was Esau, and he got Esau's blessing. And when Esau went in with his savory meat, he said, Father, where's my blessing? He said, Your brother just got it. He said, Well, give me a blessing. And he said, I can't change it. He's blessed. There's nothing I can do about it. He got your blessing. They were just words spoken. Why not just say, Oh, I'm sorry, that Jacob, man, is he, is he a deceiver? Well, don't worry about it because he can't have it. It was given to you. You legally were the firstborn. No, Jacob got Esau's blessing that were spoken. There's tremendous power in words. Proverbs 18, 21 says life and death is in the power of what we say. There's a, there's, it's very important and sometimes people just... Don't stop and think about what they're saying. Shoot their mouths off and you can be Proverbs six two snaring your own life by what you say. Now I've covered that. I've already said if you've got your tongue in agreement with to what God says now we're looking for something else. A person that's not being healed for example if their confession is up and down and whining and wavering and this, that and the other no, no, we're not dealing with we can't hear crucify the devil, we can't cast out the flesh. You gotta deal with your tongue. Get your tongue in line with what God's word says. When your confession is where it ought to be, and there's still a problem existing that is lingering and going on, then maybe we ought to look to something else. Is what we're saying. But you have, we have to take seriously what the Bible says about what we say. James 3, this whole chapter. My brethren, be not many teachers knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. Those in the ministry will be judged more severely because their words are being heard by those that are listening and they have a great impact on their life. And so they're going to have to have greater responsibility for what they've said. He says in verse 3 Behold, we put well, verse 2, in many things we offend in all, and if any man offends not in word, the same is a perfect man. He's able to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouth, that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold, we put ships which, though they be so great and are driven of the fierce winds, yet are they turned about with such a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. Behold, How great a matter a little fire kindleth! The tongue is a fire of a world of iniquity. The tongue, so the tongue among our members, it defiles the whole body. It sets on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire of hell. I mean, a lot of things that are used to destroy uh, countries and lives and people's reputation, the devil can use He influences the minds of people to whereby they speak what they think and what they think is not right and they can destroy. I mean, I'm sure that we all have been hurt in many ways by people's tongues. And I'm sure we've hurt a lot of people ourselves with our tongues. That's what James is saying. I mean, we're entering into a presidential political year, so it's going to be just one long, drawn-out, Battle of tongues, criticizing those who are in authority. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you hear the Democrats already crying out, uh, "We need to get President Bush out of there because he hasn't given us any jobs." Like he's the one in charge of passing out jobs in the country. You know what I mean? Don't don't even get me started. Don't even get me started. I, it's just pathetic. Then unless you're going to have a new deal where we start building all kinds of government projects, how can he pass out a job he's not an employer? Actually, he's created more jobs than anything with military activity because there he is the head of the military. But I'm not saying any comment on that. Anyway, verse 8, "...the tongue can no man tame, it is an unruly evil full of deadly poison." Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made out of the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeds blessing and cursing. He says we can curse others, we can curse ourselves, we can put a curse on ourselves. The curse is sickness, disease, poverty, marital problems, mental problems. That's the curse. Do me 28. All those curses. We can bring them on ourselves by what we say if we're not careful. We bless God and with the same mouth we can curse ourselves and curse men. My brother, and these things ought not to be. Does a fountain send forth the same at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can a fig tree, my brother, and bear olive berries? Either a vine fig so no fountain can yield forth salt water and fresh. Who's a wise man and a dude with knowledge among you? Let him show it out of a out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter ending and strife in your hearts, glory not and lying out against the truth, this wisdom descends not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. And where ending and strife is there is confusion and every every evil work. It's all right there. It's all right there. We can open up a door to demonic activity by just constantly misusing our tongue. That can open up a door. I mean, over in Romans chapter 12, we are admonished here when it comes to people that are working against us and using us and lying about us, and the temptation is to become hateful, the temptation is to become resentful, the temptation is to become bitter... And maybe you physically don't do something, but the temptation may be, Lord, judge that person. Shut that person's mouth. Deal with that person. Let that person get caught. Let all, you know, you want to bring on a whole lot of calamity in their life. Christians will do that. They're calling on God to do that. And they don't even stop to realize that's practicing witchcraft. That's practicing witchcraft. Maybe if they sat down and saw some movie where they saw some guy going to a witch and she was trying to stir up some kind of a magic potion to bring a curse upon someone's life, or maybe if they went to some place whereby uh, voodoo was being practiced and saw that their wishes to be carried out in a curse upon a person's life, maybe that'd be enough to wake them up that you don't pray prayers like that. You don't ask God to do things like that. On the cross, Jesus didn't say, Father, deal with all these Roman corrupt soldiers and leaders and take those Jewish leaders and judge them. He said, Father, forgive them. No curse came out of his mouth. And in Romans 12, we're told here, Verse 14, Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Why? Why does the Bible say stuff like that? Because the Bible says there's power in our words and what we say. We shoot our mouth off. We talk all the time. We don't think we're doing anything but just spreading forth words out into the atmosphere. Hot air. More of that. But the Bible says that blessing and cursing, life and death, can come through the means of what we say. Look, at look if you will, real quickly over to the book of Proverbs. Sometimes people bring a curse upon themselves for saying by what they say. Proverbs chapter 11. Just several scriptures to remind you of what the Bible has to say. Proverbs 11.9 A hypocrite with his mouth can destroy his neighbor. But through knowledge, the righteous will be delivered. But he says the hypocrite can destroy a person's life by what he says. Proverbs 12, and verse 18. There is he that speaketh like the piercings of a sword. Obviously, a sword is going to hurt, kill, destroy. But he's talking about with a tongue. But the tongue of the wise man is health. we to be talkers of health and healing and forgiveness and peace not the other way around. Proverbs 15 and verse 4. A wholesome tongue is a tree of light, but perverseness therein is a breached spirit. So sometimes people open up a door to oppression by words that have been spoken, by words that have been said. And this, there are a number of ways that that can be done. I'm not going to try to get into, into all those different ways this morning, but I'm trying to make a point that if you believe that Abraham's blessings, Galatians 3, are ours to be appropriated by faith and those promises are 4,000 years old when they were made to Abraham, and they're ours through Christ and there's curses that could have been spoken and said that go back to whereby sometimes that curse is still prevalent and working in a person's life, and just like the blessings are received by faith, the curses must likewise also be broken by an act of faith on our part. And sometimes this is what we have to deal with rather than just take the naive attitude of of a lot of Christians today that say with their mouth, Oh, I believe the Bible exists, But at the same time, they practice no real resistance against the devil, and if anything is even remotely suggested that it might be occult activity that they're getting involved in, or it may be some form of false religious acceptance that they're getting into, that they will criticize you as being dogmatic and legalistic, and they don't want any kind of that quote-unquote, bondage to be involved in. I mean, Christians don't think a thing about running off the Muslim mosques. I'm not mosques. I'm talking about charismatic, Stephen. And singing with them and worshipping with them and praying with them. And the attitude is, well, they only serve one God. It must be the same God as ours. Well, if you can show me anywhere in the Bible where, where Yahweh or Jehovah is called Allah, then you'll get my ear. But this is not the Koran. It's not the same God. They may be monotheistic, but at the same time, it is not the same God. And the Bible says that we are to have no other gods before us and that we're not to fall down to them, worship them, or serve them because it'll what? Bring a curse on our family. We read it in Exodus 20. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 18. It's easy, if, if a person falls into this snare, there's a, there is a place of recognizing that if a door has been opened to them, and, and that I'm going through some kind of oppression in my life, mental, physical, financial, domestic, maybe then this door just needs to be closed. In the book of Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 10 Thou shalt not be found among you any that maketh his son or daughter to pass through the fire or that uses divination that's fortune telling or an observer of the times astrology or an enchanter magician or a witch or a Charmer, and that being again uh, hypnotism, or a consoler with familiar spirits, spiritualism, or a wizard, which is a psychic, or a necromancer, which um, is a communicator to the dead. I believe I forget about. It. Pardon? Is that right? Okay. He says, all that do those things are an abomination of the Lord, and because of these abominations, the Lord thy God does drive them out from before thee. He's saying, because that presence is there, God says, I'm going to drive them out before you, lest those temptations to get power and wisdom from the wrong source, you'll be tempted to get involved in that, and if you do that and violate the first and second commandment, It will only bring a curse upon you. Look at Exodus chapter 34. God said that He only was to be worshipped. He is a jealous God. And there is nothing wrong with telling Christians to serve God and Him only and the way that He says to do it And if other forms of worship are false and are abominable, then shame on the pastor that's not willing to say things the way the Bible says it because he's afraid of being laughed at because people will think that he's just preaching some type of primitive animism or superstitious nonsense. Take your psychological degree and throw it away if you can't believe the Bible and follow them both. I mean, I'm not saying there isn't a place for psychology, but don't rationalize the Bible away into nothing more than black letters on a white piece of paper or you'll never experience the blessing that God will give you by having faith in His Word. Exodus chapter 34 and verse 7. This is where the two tables of Uh, the second time of the Ten Commandments were given to Moses. Verse 4, He hewed two tables of stone like unto the first. And Moses rose up early in the morning, and went up into the Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hand two tables of stone. And the Lord descended in the cloud, and stood with him there, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him, and proclaimed, The Lord God is merciful, He is gracious, he is long-suffering. He is abundant in goodness and in truth. He keeps mercy for thousands. He forgives iniquity and transgression and sin. And that will by no means clear the guilty. That means no, he will not just turn his head to sins that are happening in a person's life, but he will visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and children's children under the third and the fourth generation. The God we serve is a God of love, and He is merciful, and He is kind, and He is gracious, and He is long-suffering, but He will not tolerate false worship and involvement in it. Come on, church, that's what He said. And I think a lot of marshmallowy Christians have just got to face the fact that the God whom they serve says it's an abomination unto Him to get involved in witchcraft and magic and hypnotic activity and accepting false forms of religion. And a lot of this you find right in the church. Christian hypnotists, Christian magicians, they don't think anything wrong with astrology. And they're... All of this, he says, is an abomination unto the Lord. Well, I'd like you to... I think I'll stop at this point. I'd like to get into some more, but I think we'll stop. I wanted this message to be somewhat introductory. The purpose of this study is to do three things. Number one, to look at the curses and what the Bible has to say about them. And what are those... Causes of curses that can come and we'll talk about a number of different things in this study we'll talk about the alcohol a little bit we'll talk about some false religion I think I may do some studies a little bit into the uh, Muslim religion because more and more that seems to be being crammed down our throats it's accepted ever since 9-11 it's been don't hate the Muslim you know what I mean? And so we can talk about that. But we can talk about some other causes for curses, such as anti-Semitism, having an anti-Jewish attitude, hating the Jews. The Bible says that will bring a curse on you. Yes, it will. And I hear it coming out of the mouths of some Christians, that there still is a hatred there of Judaism. You almost want to tell them to move back to Germany. But then Hitler's gone, so I don't know what, you know, what are they going to do? Uh, habitual legalism and carnality. These are things I'm saying, what, what can open a door to oppression? Self-imposed curses, marital curses, those are things. some things we'll look at. And then I want to talk about the steps that are involved to be released from a curse. I don't want to get us to whereby we're looking to every single problem that occurs in our life and saying, oh, that's got to be some kind of demonic activity that is occurring. But there's a place of being open that may open in your heart that maybe this is a spiritual problem and it is a problem due to a door being open to demonic activity and following the steps, as the Bible says, to be delivered from them. In 1st Timothy 4, one, i I'm going to close, it says the Spirit speaks expressively that in the latter days some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. It's happening right before our eyes. I mean, more and more, the more I hear churches wanting to open up and accept gays and, ex- and declare them to be married. If that isn't a deceiving spirit and doctrine of a demon, I don't know what is. Isn't that sad? And they call themselves Christians. Well, it's not the same Christ I serve who's holy and righteous and says that such sins are an abomination unto him. Father in heaven, I pray for all of us here this morning, cover our minds with the blood of Jesus. And I pray that you would open up our hearts and minds to be open and teachable and receptive to the word that as we see what your word declares in this area, that if there's any activity or involvement in some form of false religious worship or in some form of the occult, that we would be willing to Recognize that, repent of that, confess it as sin, and do what the Bible says, to resist it and to turn from it so that we can close that door that Satan might be using to oppress our life. We ask for the wisdom to speak to the church in those things that need to be taught, and we expect an open heart and an attitude toward it. We thank you for it, Father.